This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Tommy, what do we got? Well, today we're going to be looking at a war that um, gets overlooked, I guess, at times. We get talked about briefly. Um, has a couple different names, right? One of mm-hmm. the, Sometimes it's called the Forgotten War, and a couple are called that, but also the Second War for American Independence. We're looking at the War of 1812. Yep. I don't know if you noticed this, but, right? I don't know if you noticed this, but when I look at American textbooks, and not that I sit there and analyze American textbooks, like, um, you know, Elias, my teacher told me that's literally the premise of that book is to analyze chapters and topics in American textbooks. But the War of 1812 is getting less and less play um, in American history textbooks. And, you know, as there's more and more history coming in and as kind of what we concentrate on in history changes, uh, I remember when I first started teaching, War of 1812 was literally a chapter in a textbook with four separate sections. Um, now there is no four separate sections of the chapter. It's literally one section covers all of the war and also the war itself and in us textbooks concentrating more on the native American aspect of it, which again, I think this is the changing nature of history and what we concentrate on when we teach it, but it's much more inclusive of everyone else involved in it. Not just exactly. Yeah. Not just, it's, you know, not going on it's a big conflict. Yeah. I think yeah. there's more. There's less, I remember teaching about like all the causes and stuff. Like there was a lot of stuff I remember when we learned about it, just like the causes, the causes, the causes, yeah. and like some of the battle stuff. The well, other because stuff, there wasn't I many mean, battles, right? I mean, it basically was, it was kind of like a, I want to say a fake war because it was a war and people died. But again, well, let's get into it. Let's talk about, let's talk about the war of 1812. So yeah, I think, I think the consequences of the war are a lot bigger than people realize too. Yes. Then, well, we'll get to that. Okay. So War of 1812, uh, I think we don't have to say when it started. Um, It started in 1812. Um, Although what's interesting, ha, I'm going to just get this out of the way. The United States, when 9-11 happened, you and I were in college at the time. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is like the second time the United States was invaded. Um, And people thought of usually Pearl Harbor, but actually it was the War of 1812, which was the first real invasion of the United States. And, yeah, and the America, British, the country's young at this time, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, come on, 1776, right? So when the British invaded, the first invasion of War of 1812 by the British actually took place on September 11th as well. Da-da. Yes, I remember here, yes. So, all right, War of 1812. Essentially, the beginning, the 1800s, early 1800s, the whole war, uh, rather, the whole world is at war. I mean, the war is between Great Britain and... And Napoleon Bonaparte, right? France. So Great Britain and France are fighting. And it seems like almost every country in Europe is somehow involved. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're, all, they're all doing something. Spain's doing their thing. Exactly. Yeah, There's like all, a coalition all, all, of Austria, Prussia, Russia with Britain against Napoleon. There's just – this is a war, almost a world war, let's say that, right? And Britain and France at the time in these 1800s – and this starts, you know, this starts really in early 1800s. Um, the – the fighting really kind of fight, you know, goes on between 1803 and, and 1815, and it it's both on land and at sea. And Britain and France at the time are very much in this attitude of like you're either for us or against us. Like that's the big deal here. There's no neutrality. They're not respecting neutral neutrality of any nations. No. 
And as you mentioned before, Tom, the United States is a very young nation. And as that nation, we are trying to establish ourselves around the world, primarily through economic markets. Like we are trading with everyone, even though we fought against England for independence, we went right back to trading with England because that was a huge trade partner. So we're trading with England. We are trading with France. We're trying to establish some trade with Spain. Ultimately, no matter how you spin it, the United States is trying to create their own economy. And our trade, because we are so removed from the old world or Europe, depends heavily on the ability to navigate the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, that's key here. And this is where we get into really our- This is where the conflicts happen, yeah. Right? Between both of them. France and Britain are both getting involved here. Absolutely. So, So what's happening here, Tom? Like we said, they both, they're French and Britain are in that war, so they're both trying to cut off supplies from reaching the enemy. So both sides are blocking the United States from trading with the other. And then in 1807, Britain passes what's it called, the Orders in Council, which required all like the neutral nations. They had to get like a license before they mm-hmm. could trade with France, all the French colonies. And the, and the United States is like, well, we don't appreciate we don't want, We're not doing that. Is it's you're the one letting us do it, right? So that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then the royal, what really the big thing issue here, this is what all the textbooks also always talked about, obviously, was that the Royal Navy, um, would, where they were practicing impressment, right? They're going in, they're yep. seizing American ships out at sea. They're taking this, the um, sailors from these ships and they're saying, I right, guess what? You are now members of the British Navy and you're not going to work for us. And that's basically what it was. And that was really outraging a lot of the Americans. We're saying, you, you can't be doing that. That's, that's you can't be kidnapping Americans. You can't like be that. kidnapping our soldiers. These are American citizens. They have American citizenship. And you're, yep. you're not respecting that. And the British just didn't care. Because one, they needed these they needed these extra soldiers to serve in their military. They needed it to yep. be able to fight Napoleon. So this happened in 1807. So it wasn't like a – a lot of times that's like, oh, this is going to – the Start war the started war, right yeah. after they started pressing. No, it took years, but this practice continued no matter what. Absolutely. And what's interesting about the impressment, kind of for some contextual information here, England has been at war continuously for like, you know, almost 100 years here. Like the British people are sick and tired of being at war. Uh, So you have the French and Indian, you have the American Revolutionary War. Now there's a war against uh, Napoleon's forces in France. I mean, these guys are done fighting. So there was such a big problem in England of people deserting. I mean, people desert all the time. Um, specifically sailors. So so England is known for its Navy, hundreds of ships. And all these sailors are deserting. Like they they want no part of it. And the easier way, or rather the easiest way to desert um, would be when they are in port, um, primarily when they are in trading ports or whatever around the world, where there is also American mercantile ships. Because the British feel that they could easily blend in with the American sailors, obviously, for you know the obvious reason, which is the language. So you have all these British sailors that are literally hopping on to American mercantile ships and kind of pretending to be Americans. And this is an ongoing thing. And, and England knows this. So when American trade ships are stopped at the seas going to, let's say, trade with France, the British, as you mentioned, based on this new law, will stop these ships and be like, hey, you can't trade with our enemy. The, you know, France is our enemy. But what they did is once they stopped these ships, they would search these American ships for their escaped British sailors. Now, if they didn't find any, they're like, ah, you're good enough. So they would impress or force these American sailors onto the British boats where they would force them to basically work. Now, the second the British ship would dock in any other port, those Americans oftentimes would escape 
And then that same British naval ship would then go and recapture some other poor American. Well, this kept on going on, which basically took away any freedom of the seas. And this was a, a, all over American newspapers, but also in contention in American Congress of, hey, England is just like stopping and kidnapping Americans. Like, how, how can we allow this? And meanwhile, France, on the other hand, um, is stopping our ships going to England at the same time. And again, these are all we are all supposedly friends, but France sees that as, well, you're given goods and trading with our enemy, except France doesn't impress American sailors. Um, what they do is they actually steal a lot of goods and products that are going to raw materials that are going to um and they justify it by basically they're trying to hurt their enemy. They're at war, so they're going to do what they need to do. And basically neither side is respecting the um, United States neutrality. And that's yeah. really what it comes down to a lot with this war is that the British in particular, the argument are, is that the British are not respecting the American nation, that they still see us as a colony in some way yeah. or like a less less than equal to themselves. And this all this is going to snowball. This you throw in the fact. I guess we're just going to like, you know, fast forward a little bit, I guess, if that's okay, Pete. With yep. everything with I mean, Native Americans. So what's basically going on here is that there's the British are also encouraging um, a lot of Native American tribes, particularly um, Tecumseh's tribe, right? That yeah. you need you need British support if you want to stop the Americans from expanding west. And basically, after um, what well, William Henry Harrison, they sell them weapons. I mean, when they sell, yeah, them, they, they sell give them weapons. They give them weapons. They're, they're arming them, and they're encouraging them. Take these guns, go fight, go fight the Americans, right? Don't let them ex- take your land. Don't let them expand west. Um, they actually team up with Tecumseh, right, yep. and things of that nature. And, um, and this is what it starts to split Congress because you have the Warhawks and you have the Doves. So the Warhawks are particularly from the um, South, Western and the South. They support the war, and a lot of the Federalists a lot of Western states, uh, because they're the ones that yeah, are being attacked by Native Americans. They're yeah. the ones being taxed, and, and it's, their commerce isn't tied up with trade with England like the Federalist ones, were mostly the New Englanders. They relied heavily on trade with Britain. They know, hey, going to war with Britain, they're our main trade partner. That's not going to be very profitable for us. And they were basically accusing the um, the Western and Southern congressmen of basically being like again war hawks and just p- trying to promote their expansionist I- ideas and agendas. Mm-hmm. So you have both sides are going back at each other. They're, they're going back, and um, eventually, then President Madison declares war. He that they wins out in the fall, and then on June eighteenth, eighteen twelve, the president um, asked for a declaration of war, and Congress voted for it, both the House and the Senate, but it was bitterly divided on this issue. Like, basically vote on geographic alliance. If you were in the North, you voted against the war. If you in the South or the West, you voted for the war. So the war. So it's the first time that actually the United States government um, goes to war. The United States goes to war. It's the first time we declare a war. Country. We are yep. officially at war as a country. Yep. And the first thing we do is say, let's go invade Canada. Yeah. So Which does not go over very well. No, not at all. For a bunch and of reasons. For a bunch of reasons. I think that what we need to also mention is the fact that, like, while this fight is happening of, you know, should we, should we not, should we, should we not, and as you mentioned, definitely a geographical thing, the United States at the time has two political parties. You have the Federalist Party, which is the original party of George Washington. They are pro-big government, uh, pro-business, very much located in Massachusetts, the North. These guys are all about business, um, mercantile shipping, across uh, the ocean, so on and so forth. And then you have the Democratic-Republican Party, which is that party of Jefferson and Madison as well. And that party is all about you know land and acquiring new land as well as um, expending 
farming and agriculture and the planter class and so on and so forth. And that is the party that particularly wants to expand the West, which is why they use these these new congressmen from these. They, we call them new congressmen because they came from new states that were really just created um, out West. And you, these congressmen, which become known in history as war hawks, are the ones that are like, hey, we want more land. We're just created these new states in the West. That's what we represent. And they're being attacked by these Native Americans. So as far as they're concerned, they're like, um, yeah, we want to go to war against Canada, as you mentioned, Tom. Like, they're not really about like, hey, Britain, you know, over there, because Britain is fighting against France right now. So Britain's really kind of not, they're kind of busy. They're not really interested in America. And we're, you know, we're kind of like, maybe we could just take Canada. Like, this might work out for us. Let's keep on expanding. Why not? Yep, and, um, and, and they f- they think it's going to be easy to take Canada, mostly because they don't. The British are at war with France, and they think that it's going to march in that everyone's going to um, just uh, you know accept them and so forth. But what you have to understand is both sides are also really unprepared for war at this point. Mm-hmm. America is a young country; um, we, they only have about twelve thousand men in the entire military, <laughs> and they're very poorly trained. Um, and like I said, Britain's busy fighting. They have, they have they're fighting. Most of their navy is being used to blockade France. They're on they're on the ground in Spain and Portugal fighting. Um, so they only had about over six thousand troops stationed in Canada, and they couldn't really spare much more from their war with France. And then Madison, though, is is kind of going with these hawks. He believed that um, the first goal of the war should be to take over Canada, and he yeah. assumed it was going to be easy to do. Even Thomas Jefferson previously. I'm um, talked about that the that he said that the uh, acquisition of Canada would be a mere matter of marching. They just assumed it would be super easy to just walk right in, and that's going to happen. But that's not the, it wasn't the case yeah. basically. So when those soldiers did invade, you know they were they weren't they were poorly led. Yeah, and I like the fact that you just brought up Thomas Jefferson because Thomas Jefferson, it's, you know, there's this belief that Canada would also want to be free and join the United States because they also spoke English, but. Thomas Jefferson did something that was really stupid before the War of 1812 because all the impressment and stopping over ships and all that stuff is happening during Jefferson's presidency, you know, because it started really in 1803. So in in 1807, Thomas Jefferson does what a 2006 poll um, of American historians listed as one of the top 10 biggest mistakes that American presidents have ever made in American history. Um, and that is the Embargo Act. So Thomas Jefferson basically said, hey, listen, if people are going to stop our ships, I'm not going to take sides between France and England. I'm basically just going to stop trading with everyone. He just restricted foreign ships from taking on cargo at U.S. ports. Just stop trade. Yeah, which and, is not going to hurt those countries as much as it's going to hurt the merchants here yeah, at that point. So like, it's just absolutely. Not yeah, merchants went out of business. Shippers went bankrupt. I mean, some people survived mainly by smuggling products across the Canadian border. So, like, Jefferson screwed up the entire U.S. economy. And in Madison, that's one of the first things Madison did when he followed Jefferson into office was get rid of the Embargo Act. And that's kind of what, you know, Madison wanted to be in the good graces of the American people. So he's like, yeah, you're right. I see what you see, you know, what you're doing and I understand this economic downturn and and this war is really affecting us. And that's kind of why he goes along with the Warhawks to, um, you know, ask Congress for permission to war. And in Canada, there's a few things that a lot of people don't realize, specifically my students, because War of 1812 is known for quite a few interesting facts, one of them being the fact that British soldiers came into the United States and burned the White House and Washington, D.C. And that's something we are going to talk about. But what we don't realize is that that was in retaliation for something that we did first. So... In 
the War of eighteen twelve at the very beginning, um, we declare war on England because, and we say because they're impressing our ships and and our sailors and stopping our ships on the waters, but also enticing Native American tribes against the United States. That's basically what we say in the declaration of war. Now, when we go into Canada, um, what ultimately happens is. Like you said, we're completely prepared. It's winter. Our soldiers are dying. And, the yeah, and all the Canadians, soldiers were in it for themselves, too. They were kind of just yeah. looking to see how they could better plunder more yeah. of us. Plunder, you're right. And also, like, we didn't expect the British Canadians to actually start firing at us. They're like, we we thought they were going to just hug us and be like, hey, let's do this. Um, we have a history of thinking people want us to liberate them, and it doesn't exactly go that way. <laughs> yeah, no. And this is just so, the beginning of that. So this invasion fails, right? Um we, you know, we basically cannot take over Canada. And therefore, as we are retreating, we burn down um, York, which is present day Toronto on April 27, 1813. And then afterwards, uh, we burn down Newark, which is now Niagara-on-the-Lake in December of 1813. So we are so upset that we can't take over Canada, we burned their two major cities and we march back, right? That was the whole thing. Now, um, that is why the British eventually burn our capital. They do this in retaliation for the fact that American forces burned down two Canadian cities in anger that they couldn't take over Canada. Um, the resistance to American military becomes like a nation-defining cause for Canada's people, and they celebrate the War of eighteen twelve to this day. Like it's a big deal. It's a big in thing, Canada, yeah, that's, because they, yeah. re, you know, they, they were able to stop American an American invasion. Huge thing. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of the new Medal of Honor podcast from Evergreen Podcasts, brought to you in partnership with the National Medal of Honor Museum. In each three-minute episode, we'll learn about a different service member who distinguished him or herself through an act of valor. We'll include stories from the Civil War to Iraq and Afghanistan, and from all branches of the military. We'll talk about service members who were overlooked for the medal at first due to their race or religion, and about those who were celebrated at the time. We'll hear stories of soldiers like Audie Murphy, future Hollywood star who mounted a burning tank to hold off German infantry in World War II. And people like Dr. Mary Edwards Walker, a Civil War Army doctor and the only woman to receive the Medal of Honor so far. Learn about these heroes and more wherever you get your podcasts. And you kind of briefly mentioned this before, but... Tecumseh, who was the Shawnee chief, um, and basically did something that was unprecedented, or at least, well, Pontiac tried that, Pontiac's Rebellion in 1700s, but he created a military alliance of over two dozen um, Native American nations, and his whole major goal was to end westward expansion of white settlers, and armed, first of all, the fact that you have Native American tribes uniting, second of all, armed with British weapons, and attacking and killing Americans on the frontier, like, this was actually dangerous to Americans. And we viewed the British as the ones at fault for this, for enticing them. And the person that defeats this Confederacy eventually becomes our president. And that's William Henry Harrison at the Battle of Tippecanoe. What was the thing when he ran for president? What did they say? Tippecanoe and Tyler too. Yeah, that's what it was when he ran for president. Okay. Future podcast. Future podcast. Um, Well, so Canada doesn't pan out. 
and then we come back. And then we're at war, but we're like not really at war because England's not here to fight us. I mean, we need to acknowledge that because England's fighting Napoleon in Europe. So we're kind of just like, you know, la, 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 la. What do we do now? The only real fighting that actually does take place for like a year during this war. Again, there's no fighting besides Canada at this point. Um, is the war at sea. Like we actually do um, have some luck fighting the war against the British Navy. But we should mention that Britain, out of hundreds, hundreds of ships that they had in their Navy, only designated nine to fight against the United States. Nine. <laughs> yeah, this um, was a war, too, that on both sides it wasn't popular. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This I was like a British. Yeah, as soon as, it, as soon as it was going on, both sides were like... Uh, I want to say both. I mean, not everyone on both sides. But remember, there was even a call. The New Englanders were still against it. There were New Englanders considering seceding from the United States. They did. They were, they were just, a they just calling it, you know, right? Yep. Yeah, they were just calling it Mr. Madison's war. Let's, let's you know, figure something else out. They ultimately voted against doing that, but they wanted more state rights. You had a bunch of British um, in their parliament that didn't even want it. One reason why the war even started was because they got a new prime minister. So that kind of that changed everything in the war. Yep. All right, they it, it worked out that the war did happen. But like... It was not something that both sides really – they got into it and they're like, oh, great. Now what? Yeah. You're right. The peace talks started almost immediately. Like they, immediately, the United like, States within like a this. month send in someone to talk about peace talks. Yeah, Britain was not going to send a huge invasion force over to try to like, you know, retake the United States and make them U.S. colony, make them British colonies again. And the U.S. wasn't going to have another long war of like attrition just trying to kick the British. It just, it just wasn't going to – it wasn't going to happen like that. It wasn't going to be a repeat of 1776. Yep. And you're right. I, I mean, great point. So this war, therefore, because England kind of were like this like annoying fly for them, and they're just like swatting us away, like not now, we're busy. <laughs> um, that's kind of how the United States manages to, with just 16 ships, by the way, that was our Navy. Our Navy literally was 16 ships. Um, one of them, which is still around, I've actually been on that ship. Have you been to US, US Constitution? Yes. US, yeah, yeah well, USS Constitution is a fun ship. Um, still around. Um, old Ironsides. But... We were able to um, defeat and sink a few British ships, which to us, this is what was kind of dominating the papers. Like, wow, look at that. We're taking it to the mighty British Navy. Well, it's it's well, propaganda right there. Wow, yeah, of course. I mean, because clearly. And to try and get national pride. I think the War of 1812 does bring a lot of national pride in. Yeah. Because we stood up to the British. We basically, it's basically we stood up to the big guy. We got knocked down, but we got back up. That's basically kind of like if you want to sum it up right there. The War of 1812, yeah. I would say. They knocked yeah. us down, but we got back up. They, they didn't beat us. We didn't beat them. But, but you know, we showed them that we're willing to fight. And is it going to be worth it? Like, you might, you, you're bigger, you're stronger at the moment, but you keep on, you know, we're not, we're not going to be, it's, we're not going to be some, a pushover. And the British yeah. was like, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Absolutely. Um, so anyway, if you guys are in Massachusetts, stop by the old Ironsides. But you did mention something interesting. The Hartford Convention in Massachusetts and Maine, this is kind of really the reason why Maine and Massachusetts split. Um, this is a precursor to Maine wanting to kind of have their independence from Massachusetts. But at this time, there is a, a very strong movement to separate New England from the rest of the colonies because New England was basing its almost entire economy apart from lumber uh, which you know, uh, which they sold to the British basically to build more ships. 
but between you know it was also shipping and mercantile businesses so this completely destroyed their economy fighting against england so they were like this is so stupid and most of these people were um federalists this federalist party and therefore after the war ended the federalist party is kind of blamed as Look at that. You were never really for us. You were never really supportive of the American, you know, veterans and soldiers. And and the Federalist Party falls apart. It literally ceases to exist. Therefore, when this war ends, the United States has only one political party, and that is the Democratic Republican Party. Or at that time, it becomes known as the Republican Party. Anyway, so essentially what happens is um, the British government, right, finally wins against Napoleon. Well, the first time they kind of ship him off, right? And at that point, um, they're like, all right, like, wait, what's happening in America? Like, let's let's go take care of that. So they do. Yeah, and this it, is now they can start sending more in, yeah. Yep. And they kind of just, they're like, all right, let's just send some Amer- you know, British soldiers to America. And these are battle-hardened, just-beat-Napoleon soldiers. Like, we have absolutely no chance whatsoever. So, what do they do? 1914, the British... Um, 1814. Sorry, 18, my bad. In 1814, <laughs> the British start, I know, right? Start raiding the, uh, and burning all different towns along the Atlantic coast. And, I mean, the U.S., you know, quickly assembled American troops, because that's what we could call them. Uh, literally, we're just running away from them for the most part. Um, so, the British troops enter Washington, D.C., and it's for in retaliation for the U.S. victory at Battle of York and the capital, you know, which was the capital of Upper Canada. Yeah, burning, um, burning Toronto, they yeah. Start burning, yeah, they start burning down um, into, in retaliation, Washington, D.C. Then they burn the famous um, American presidential mansion, which is which was made out of concrete, mostly in bricks. Uh, it was like a grayish color. It was after its burning when it was repainted white, to cover all of these stains from the fire and really kind of adopts the name or nickname of the white house, as opposed to the presidential. Mansion. That's probably one of the most um, well-known. Well, that in Madison saving George Washington. Well, she had, as she's running, as they're fleeing, getting ready to flee, because there's no way they can stop the British. She doesn't, she save a whole bunch of um, portraits, right? Of yep. George Washington. Yep. And other she's things. Yeah. Well, you you, you got to make sure that, you know, um, Posterity. Madison's man. not ca- well. That and Madison doesn't get captured. So yeah, they're, they're leaving the capital, and they, I think they watch it burn up from like a hill. Yeah, it's so embarrassing, right? You you know we're being that's what it is. It, it's yeah, it's militarily it's very embarrassing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we start this war. We don't really fight much. Then the British decide to come and fight it like two years after we declare it, and we are running away. And literally, I mean, the president, like you said, Tom, just ran away, and his wife remained in the White House till the very last second. Upon which she decides, first of all, everyone knows this story where she asked, we kind of did this in the first ladies when she asked um, the kitchen staff to make a nice feast for the invading British. And then she uh, managed to save Washington's portrait so that future generations could have it before she got out of there and they burned the place down. As far as we're you know, the war and the battles are concerned, I mean, that's really the only thing that happens. Well, they they burned they, they burn that. And then there's a couple Baltimore. other smaller battles. Well, let's talk about yeah, so Baltimore and have, New Orleans. Well, the big one, I guess, is one, there's a big one on September 11th again, right? 1814 yep. at the Battle of uh, Plattsburgh. It's yep. basically where the they, the American Navy, they, they defeat the British fleet. They're able to defeat it there at uh, Lake Champlain. And you kind of just drive them back. 
And then September 13th, 1814 is when Baltimore's Fort McHenry, which stands that 25 hours of straight bombardment. And that's famously where Francis Scott Key gets inspired to write the Star Spangled Banner, yep. which will cool eventually become which will eventually become adopted as the national anthem, what, 1931? So it takes a while yeah. before it becomes yeah. the official national anthem. Yeah, initially it's a, it's a poem. Um, because yeah. what happens is he's, a, he's an attorney, and the British came, you know, when they got to Baltimore, and they can't really get to Baltimore because they're being shelled by this fort, Fort McHenry. Um, they do wind up getting some British soldiers on land and seizing, or rather not, I guess, kidnapping or arresting, I would say, um, a couple of Americans that they viewed as treacherous. Uh, so they put these two Americans on these on this British warship. And one of these Americans um, writes a note for his lawyer. And his lawyer is Francis Scott Key. And Francis Scott Key hops on um, a rowboat, gets himself up there to... Um, you know, to this warship and he pleads his client's case, which he wins, except the British are like, all right, well, we can't let you off the ship yet, though. You got to wait till the morning because we have to finish like shelling this, you know, fort. Um, so he's like, all right, fine. So he stays on the ship while all night the British are just bombarding Fort McHenry. And in the morning, Francis Scott Key goes up on the deck. He, you know, it's really smoky from all the, you know, um, charges that were being blown up the night before and he kind of looks through it and then he realizes that like the american flag was still there and he's inspired to write a poem that we know today know as our uh national anthem which by the way was not it wasn't really the main song america the beautiful was in contention like there was quite a few songs when it was being decided to have a national anthem like star spangled banner like just won out which is kind of an interesting fact and the biggest battle of them all, the one that... Well, that's the battle that's most well-known, yeah, is the Battle of New Orleans, right? Yep. And that, that really takes place because of what's going on and some of those other battles that we talked about because the British forces left the Chesapeake Bay area after they their failed attack on Baltimore and began gathering their forces for a campaign against New Orleans. And that's where they're going to run into... Well, it's kind of like a weird thing. And I know people are aware of this. Most people, this The Battle of New Orleans, which is probably one of the most famous battles of the war, Happens when the war is already over, technically. Yep. So what happens in this battle? Let's talk about. Well, it's basically the um, British invade. They attack. They try to take it, but they are soundly defeated at the hands of the future U.S. President Andrew Jackson. And a bunch and the, of basically like pirates. <laughs> pirates. Yeah, he basically gets a whole bunch of bunch of ragtag people together and say, "Let's go," and <laughs> they're able to hold off the British. They fight him back. Literally. Yeah, uh, and the British want the. New Orleans, because they want to control the Mississippi. They think yes. that if they could control the Mississippi, then and they already have a blockade of all the Atlantic, you know, then they they could somehow basically surround the United States, which is interesting because that's the philosophy of the Union troops uh, in the American Civil War later on. But to get to the Mississippi, they need to first get through New Orleans. And here is Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson is already known he's not president yet he's not politically known this is what makes him a this national is what makes him. well because like you said before that journalism is that they announce this victory right at new orleans and then they say the war is over so a lot of people yeah. can say oh we we won the war because of this battle no the war is already over but it kind of like oh we won the last battle of the war or whatever so we kind of yeah. oh the, we won this battle and the war is over so it left a really like positive feeling about the war in a lot of american people's psyches yeah, and the misconception that, you know, like he ended it. 
Um, however, he did. I mean, he, basically, he built these. There's a few things that are interesting because Andrew Jackson, we should probably do a podcast on one day, but this guy was shot in a, a bar brawl like a couple days before he was called in to defend New Orleans. So he literally had his arm still in a sling. He needed help getting on a horse. He wound up having like crazy case of diarrhea, infected um, gun wounds when, when he like creates this ragtag force to defend New Orleans. And he makes them up out of Tennessee militia, so local merchants, um, some Native Americans, some pirates. And basically what they do is they build up these fortifications, like a precursor to um, trench warfare. And they just wait for the British to try to attack the only position that the British were able to attack because everything around it was marshes. And they do. And, and it's it's kind of crazy how many British people. I think he loses like three British people. I'm sorry. He loses three Americans. And I'm pretty sure he kills like hundreds of Brits that are trying. So essentially the British are like, all right, we give up. We, we can't take New Orleans. It just, it just and, wasn't worth the loss yet to them. Yep. And then you have the actual news comes out that there was a Treaty of Ghent um, yes. signed on Christmas Eve, right? In 1814, it declares an armistice. Basically, as you mentioned earlier, Tom, there is no victor here. It's just like, can we just stop this? Like England's like, we're tired. We just fought against Napoleon. You guys are like a new nation. You're like in your 20s. Like, what do you know? You know, like, let's just, well, 30s, I guess. Um, kind of like us. We're in our 30s. What do we know? So, yes. Um, anyway, they reach an agreement and basically by 1815, there's a commercial treaty that reopens trade between the two countries. Um, and life goes on like it, like nothing happened. Like we don't really gain anything from this. Yeah, we don't get it. Yeah. Like we wanted them to formally agree they would end impressment and they don't, but after Napoleon's war, they kind of didn't need impressment anymore. It didn't happen. They wanted... The, the British wanted a, a, a formal Indian state in their northwest. They just abandoned yeah. that. They said, "Forget it. We don't. We don't. We don't really care about that anymore." Um, yeah. So a lot of the things, but what it does do ultimately is both sides just agree. All right, we're just stop fighting, and it does kind of bolster American morale. Both sides kind of feel like they won. Yes. Um, and then because the, the the British kind of see this as a continuation of the of their war with Napoleon. So they're like, "We beat Napoleon. That's really what we're concerned about." The Canadians feel very pumped up about it because we repelled this American invasion. So they feel very not, they feel a lot of national pride. The Americans feel like, oh, now we're going to be taken seriously as a country because we fought the British again. Really, the ones that lost the most were the Native Americans because now the British are not going to help them out anymore. So they're yep. going to be totally open to American Western expansion. And that's really what's going to happen now from this point on. And for the United States, uh, what it really does is it kind of starts off what becomes known in history as the era of good feelings, which is just this yeah. national pride grows leaps and bounds. Yeah. And it ends uh, the Federalist Party, like you said. Yeah, it, it ends the Federalist Party because it's like, hey, if you were in a Federalist Party we're against the war and look, we survived. It's like we took – it's like you, you, know, you take the biggest punch from Mike Tyson and you're still standing. Like that's basically what it says. There's certain pride in that um, because I know I wouldn't be standing if I took a big punch from Mike Tyson. Um, but the, uh, the Federalists were seen as traitors. So you're like, yeah, I'm not really a Federalist anymore. And boom, you only have one part political party in the United States um, going into 1816. Like, there's just the Republicans. That's it. Until, you know, a guy from this war says, yeah, I don't like that, and starts his own party, the Democratic Party, and that guy is Andrew Jackson. So... Would you say needless war? 
I don't know. What do you think? I think it was a war that was wanted by some, like we said, not wanted by all. But again, that's always a case of war too. But it, it was basically, I think it was a war. A lot of it was fought because of pride on both sides because there were still bitter feelings from the revolution. Yeah. And they has kind of had to have this other war before they could more or less get out of systems because the Americans and the British form a pretty strong alliance, not formally after this war. Yeah. Like the, those, no, those relations get pretty, pretty big on this. And you know, a hundred years later, I mean, a hundred years is a hundred years, you know, we're basically fighting with them right against Germany in world war one. So things, things yeah. definitely change um, over time and they become an ally pretty much not right after this war, but it's laying the groundwork for that alliance. And now today, you know, British and Americans, like the closest alliance in the world. Yeah, it's almost like a skirmish with your bigger, like, older brother. You know what I mean? Like, hey, you can't yeah. pick on me anymore. Like, don't pick on me. We all know the older brother's probably bigger, stronger, and remained bigger and stronger. But, like, the little brother's not just going to take it all the time. I guess that's that's really what came out of this. So, I think that's it. That was a nice quick episode on the War of 1812. You and I are a little busy these days because, you know, school started. Um, yes. So back to work. <laughs> we, yeah, back to work. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. So, but we got this. We can, we can. We're still here for you guys, even though it's a little more difficult to find time. But we shall find it. So, if anyone needs anything, you know where to find us. You can find us online, obviously at historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, so on and so forth. So, feel free to email us. We are getting your emails. We are putting ideas that you guys uh, do email to us. We put them in kind of like a queue. We have like this bank of ideas and we're kind of just pick out of it so um maybe some of yours will be picked out or already have been picked out so that's it for this week guys i hope you enjoy your week and for those of you that do listen to this that are starting school again make sure this is a nice fun year enjoy guys best of luck stay safe everybody I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.